May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. This week I spent some time looking at videos of people who were hearing for the very first time. Kind of wanted to look at what this experience was like to to prepare for this sermon this morning that I want to preach you out of our gospel reading where um, Jesus heals a man who was deaf and couldn't speak. And um, these were folks, many of them were children, um, but some were adults who received uh, the cochlear implants. I don't know if you've seen these videos, but if you're ever feeling down, go on YouTube and look at these videos. It's amazing. The cochlear implant, you know, has has this uh, microphone kind of device and then it picks up the the sounds and converts them into electrical impulses and then the electrical impulses go into the auditory nerves and you're watching these people here for the very first time. The most common reaction, really it's a universal reaction, at least based on what I saw, is tears start to come down their, their face. Their mouth is open. Their hand goes over their mouth. They just can't believe what's happening. And then the people around them start to laugh and cry as well. And uh, I imagine that that is what happened when Jesus healed this man, that there were some tears streaming down some faces. And uh, people, as they saw this man, how he had been restored to new life, were joining uh, in laughter and joy. In fact, it tells us, Mark tells us, that the people were astonished beyond measure at this miracle. Uh, They were hyper-astonished. That's actually what the Greek prefix means there. Hyper-astonished. Their amazement was overflowing, and they said, he does all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And I want us to consider what this miracle, this jaw-dropping miracle, has to tell us today. What does it say to us about Jesus, and what lessons does it have for us today? And I, I want to consider this under three, uh, three headings here. It, it tells us about Jesus' identity. It speaks to us about Jesus' compassion for individuals. And it, it contains an important spiritual lesson that we all need today. And so first of all, it, it tells us this miracle tells us about Jesus' identity, who he is and what he came to do. In our Old Testament reading, we saw from Isaiah 37, this ancient prophecy that was written some 700 years or so before Jesus, a prophecy that a day is going to come when the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. This was a prophecy that foretold a a day when the Lord himself, this is the Lord himself intervening on behalf of the people of Israel, that he will visit them with salvation, that he will bring restoration, that he will reverse the curse of sin. It's a restoration of, really, it looks forward to ultimate restoration of the nation and creation itself. But within this, focuses on this individual, an individual who can't hear and can't speak. This man could not hear or speak because of the curse of sin. 
Disease and death are a result of a world that's turned away from God, who is the source of life and goodness. And that is why we get disease, and that is why we die, the curse of sin. That is why this man was deaf and he couldn't hear. That is why people in Jesus' day got this dread disease of leprosy. That is why people today get the dread disease of cancer. That is the leprosy of our day. It is the curse of sin. It is a product of a fallen world. Not the way God intended the world to be. But it is the world we live in after the fall. But here we see that God in Christ is restoring his broken creation. And Isaiah 37 is looking forward to that day when God will do this, and Jesus is now fulfilling this prophecy, reversing the curse. And so this points us to Jesus' identity. Here is God, the Lord, incarnate, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, stepping into time and space. This little dusty village somewhere in modern, it's, it's, it's somewhere in modern Jordan or Syria we would locate this place today. And he's opening deaf ears and he's loosening mute tongues. And so friends, this is a reason to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lord, that he is God with us. He fulfills these ancient prophecies. Some people say, well, faith is just a, a matter of believing without evidence. Well, here is evidence. Jesus did these sorts of things, these mighty miracles. The same Spirit of God that hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation to create is now at work in Jesus. This Spirit is flowing out of Jesus to recreate and to restore and to heal. And so what Jesus does in this passage of Scripture and throughout the Gospels, these healing miracles ought to give us faith for God's promises about the future because God has promised that he is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. There is going to be complete restoration of his creation. And in that new heaven and in that new earth, the book of Revelation says there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning and no crying and pain. And we can trust that future promise of God because of what we see Jesus doing in the Gospels. Now, some people might say, well, we don't see this happening much today. And some people are skeptical because they don't see this kind of healing taking place in Jesus' name today. They are skeptical about what the Bible says Jesus did a long time ago. And I would say, first of all, well, there are people who are healed in Jesus' name today. And we know people, I can tell stories about that, we do know people who have been healed in Jesus' name, and and the doctors cannot explain it. And that's a wonderful thing when it happens. But certainly, comparing our day to what was going on in Jesus' day, and in the early church, in the New Testament, there is a gap. There is a gap between the miraculous healings in terms of the the quantity, the sheer numbers of what was going on in Jesus' day, and what we see today. I think we can be honest about that. The great gap between the miracles today and the miracles of Jesus. It's important to note that in the Bible, miracles group around specific points in God's plan of salvation. 
in the Bible, you see miracles and supernatural things happening at heightened times in the history of God's salvation. The Exodus was a high point in the history of God saving his people Israel from Egypt. And we see miraculous things happening in the Exodus event. The time of the prophets was a time where men spoke in power, in supernatural power for God. And certainly the coming of Jesus is a high point in God's redemptive history. And we see these miracles happening in Jesus' ministry and in the disciples' ministry as they expanded the church by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so miracles group around these high points in the history of God's plan of salvation so that people can understand, okay, God is at work. God is here and now, and we had better pay attention. I heard one pastor make a statement that stuck with me because of the way he phrased it. He said, when it comes to miracles in the Bible, it's not like mayo on a ham sandwich spread evenly over the sandwich. It's lumpy. <laughs> They're clustered around specific points, chapters, and the unfolding plan of God's story of salvation. And they're a way of getting people's attention. God is here. God is active. Pay attention. And certainly this miracle and the other healing miracles of Jesus are signifying that God is here at work in this man in a unique and powerful way. Pay attention. It points to his identity. The miracle also speaks to Jesus' great compassion for individuals who are hurting. His great compassion for people who are in need. Jesus takes this man aside. Did you notice that? He takes him out of the village, away from the crowds. And he interacts with this man in a very personal and compassionate way. The ESV Bible, the study Bible, offers this explanation for why Jesus did this, and I think they're on track here. It says that Jesus did this. He took the man away from the crowds so as to not make a spectacle of his healing. And we see that sometimes in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, at this point in his ministry, he, um, he is attracting crowds. Everywhere he goes, people are coming to him with illness. They're bringing their friends on their sick beds and laying them at Jesus' feet. Jesus is at the high point of his popularity as a healer. He can't hardly go anywhere without the crowds surrounding him. But he wants to deal, what we see is he does like to deal with people in a smaller way, in a more hands-on, direct, compassionate way. And this is one instance of this. Another instance is when he healed Jairus's daughter, remember Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler, came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. Can you come? She was 12 years old. And then they said, forget about it, Jairus. She's already, she's already dead. Don't have him come. And Jesus went anyway. And, and there was a crowd outside. And he didn't say, okay, come on, everybody. I'm going to show you what I can do. He had them stay outside. He only took his inner circle. And he restored this little girl to new life. What a, what a contrast between Jesus' ministry and sometimes what you see in other ministries, especially of those who have the gift of healing or claim to have the gift of healing. Sometimes you see these people on TV, and it's like the, the people they're praying for become a prop in their ministry, a chance for them to kind of display 
their power and their gifts. But but Jesus' example for those of us who are involved in ministry is to compassionately deal with individuals and never to consider them a, a prop to display our gifts. For Jesus, this man was no prop. He was a hurting person, and he needed healing. And so Jesus prayed for him, and he uttered a sigh as, uh, as he prayed. That must have been, I think, a sigh of compassion for the brokenness that this man was experiencing. I love the details here throughout this, in this narrative. The details, the specificity, give us the texture of real history. Right? You're not going to make up these details. This has real historical, a sense of real historical worth because it was a historical event. So Jesus, before he healed this deaf man, he acted out what he was going to do. And so he stuck his fingers in his ears. I'm going to touch your ears. They're going to be opened. And then he spit. That's kind of an odd thing, right? Why did he spit? Well, you read different commentaries and they say different things. Maybe he spit to show the man that he was going to expel this speech impediment from his, from his body and loosen his tongue. Some commentators, I heard one person say, uh, maybe it's an echo of the Genesis creation account where the, the breath of life came from the mouth of God. And there's an echo here, God incarnate, giving life to this man's mouth through his, through his mouth. Well, we don't know exactly why he spit, but, but he, he put his fingers in his ears. He, 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 he spit on the ground. I think this was a way of, at the very least, enacting for this man who could not hear what he was about to do. He shows compassion. He shows compassion. As Christians, we can never lose this sense of compassion towards hurting people. This is the way of Christ. We can never lose the dignity of each individual person and upholding that dignity because all people are created in the image and likeness of God. We have got to hold fast to that. We have got to embody that in our church life and in our ministry. And we have got to teach this to our children, the dignity and worth of each individual and responding to hurting people with the love of God. Because, friends, there are competing visions that are beginning to gain currency in our culture about the worth of individuals. There are competing visions, visions that compete with the Judeo-Christian ethic of the human person and the worth of individual life. I read this week about a historian, an Israeli historian named Yuval Noah Harari. He has sold over 12 million books. So he is at a high level in terms of influence. He's a brilliant man and a brilliant writer. He's on major TV networks. He is on the web and he has sold 12 million books. And the title of one of his books is Homo Deus, Man is God. And that is his philosophy. And Harari says that through computer science, we are going to eventually be able to upgrade ourselves, upgrade our bodies, upgrade our minds. And he says eventually 
We are one step away, he says, from solving the problem of death, and just over the horizon is eternal life, and we don't need God anymore. Now, the dark part of this vision, he says, is that computers are eventually going to take over. But that doesn't matter, ultimately, because we have to come to grips with this truth, Harari says, that we are nothing more than data ourselves. We are nothing more than an algorithm. As he puts it, we are just cosmic ripples in the universe. And so he goes on and he says, we have to realize that the concept of human rights and justice and the dignity of the individual is just a fiction. It's been a useful fiction, but that's grounded in the biblical story. We don't need God anymore. We're going forward with what technology can give us. And if you get lost, too bad. We're just collections of data anyway. Those are philosophies, friends, that are gaining ground in the world today. And so as Christians, we have to come back to what the Lord teaches us and how he ministers to people, upholding the dignity and worth of every individual person. Somebody commenting on this article where I got this synopsis of Harari's philosophy said this, we as Christians are not supposed to look on suffering and turn our back and say, well, science and technology will somehow sort it out. But to get our hands dirty, serving others, hurting people, with the power of the Holy Spirit. So compassion for the hurting people. We see that in the ministry of Jesus, and that is an example for us today. And then finally, I want to talk about the spiritual lesson of this miracle. You see, Jesus' miracles are not simply to reveal who he is. They do that. Not simply to demonstrate his heart of compassion, which is an example for us, but it's also to point to a spiritual truth that he's trying to teach through that miracle. So, for example, when Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, he said after that to the crowd, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't be hungry again. You'll have eternal life. The physical miracle pointed to a spiritual lesson that Jesus was trying to get across. When he healed the man who had been born blind from birth, this is in John 10, before he healed the man, he said, I am the light of the world. In other words, I am going to enable people throughout the world to see spiritually. I give the light of the knowledge of God. And so now Jesus heals a man who cannot hear and cannot speak. What's the spiritual meaning of this miracle? You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus says something. As, as you read the Gospels over and over again, there's this common refrain. After he teaches something, after he teaches a parable, Oftentimes, he'll say what? He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Jesus is concerned with your hearing, my hearing. After this miracle, he, he gathers the disciples in the next chapter, and Jesus asks his disciples, he says, having ears, do you not hear? Are you not getting the spiritual message of my ministry? Are you not hearing the word of God? See, that's what Jesus calls all of us to, to have our ears opened by him to hear his word and to understand that his word is the word of God and the word of God is the word of life. God spoke and the world was created. And it is through the word of God that we are recreated, that we are made new. That's why James wrote in our epistle reading, 
that God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. New creation. We are made new when we receive the word of God and believe it and take it into our life. So in Christ, God is opening ears to the word of truth that we can be made new. He's loosening tongues so that we can praise him for the life that he's given us and tell others about him. This comes about through the work of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. It is through Him, His grace, that our spiritual ears are open to hear Christ's words as the word of life. It happens by His grace. Apart from His grace, we could not hear the word of life. The people who received this cochlear implant, they could not hear without that intervention. This man in Mark 7 could not hear without Jesus' intervention in his life. So it takes a miracle of God's grace in Christ for us to hear that his word really is the word of life. Otherwise, we'll say it's just kind of interesting, but not relevant to me. Maybe interesting for other people, relevant to them, but maybe not to me. But when the spirit of God opens our ears to hear Jesus's words as the words of life, we'll be like the disciples and say, Remember the disciples were, at one time, people were abandoning Jesus, and he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to go too? And they say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life, the words of life that we need to hear. So it takes a miracle of grace for us to be, have our ears open to hear what he has to say. But it also takes a willingness for us to come, to come in our brokenness. This man actually... He didn't come on his own, did he? His friends brought him, which is another good lesson for the church. We need to bring hurting people to Jesus. But he had to be willing to go along with his friends. And he had to be willing to stand there and have Jesus do some odd things and spit on the ground and stick his fingers in his ears. And he had to have a little bit of faith. I don't know how much faith he had. Maybe he had a whole lot of faith or maybe it was just a mustard seed to believe, okay, I think this can work. This is kind of strange, but I'm going to stand here in front of Christ, in my brokenness, in my weakness, and I'm going to trust that his word, his prayer, is going to open my ears to hear and loosen my tongue. It takes a willingness to come and, and come with our brokenness and come with our weakness and come with our doubts and come with our fears and our pain and stand in front of the Lord and say, open my ears, I believe, I want to hear your word, giving me hope and giving me new life. And so, friends, what word of Christ do you need to hear this morning? It's the word of life. Maybe some people are here, and they need to hear the words, you are forgiven. This is my body given to you. This is my blood shed for you, and the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're here today, burdened with guilt and shame, and you hear that word, it's a word of life. You have to come and be willing to hear the word. Maybe there are people here who need to hear Jesus' words of challenge in their life. Take up your cross and follow me. There are things that need to die in your life. There are priorities. There are habits of action and thought that need to die in your life in order to be my disciple He's calling you to die to self and to live for him who died for you. 
a word of challenge. But we have to be willing to admit we need to hear this word. Maybe you need to hear Christ's word of hope today, friends. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live. And those who live and believe in me will never die. And Jesus is calling us to come to him in our brokenness, in our fear of death and the grave, and, and pray, Lord, open my ears to hear and believe this word of life. What word of life do you need to hear from Christ? And pray that your ears would be open to hear this word. And having been opened, our ears open to hear, our tongues will be loosened to praise him and to tell of his new life. And then we'll be like the people in this crowd who can exclaim, having witnessed this miracle, he does all things well. Praise his name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing who you are in these stories that have been preserved for us by the hand of God for centuries. We thank you for revealing yourself as the Lord who recreates and gives us hope for new creation and new life. We thank you for revealing yourself as the Lord of great compassion towards hurting individuals. And we thank you, O oh God, that you open our ears to hear your word and loosen our tongues to declare your praise. Do that work in all of our lives, I pray, today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you please stand?